Tonight I'm going to share with you something that is not commonly understood in our culture. And it is based upon the idea of covenant. We hardly ever use that word. Children aren't taught it in school. You don't hear it in high school. Very seldom do you hear the word covenant, although once in a while you do, but not very often. And even more rare is the idea of a blood covenant. Um, I have a picture I want to show you. And uh, this man is uh, coming up there in just a second. When I was in public school, I think it was about grade five, and we, ex we studied explorers, um, this was one of my favorite explorers. His name was David Livingston. How many have heard of him? All right? So David Livingston was born in um, 1803, and he died in 1873. He was a missionary in Africa, and uh, he accomplished some tremendous things. He went there to reach unreached African tribes for Jesus. And on his tombstone, he was laid to rest in Westminster Abbey. Um, on his tombstone, it says this, David Livingston, missionary, traveler, philanthropist, for 30 years his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize the native races, to explore the undiscovered secrets, and to abolish the slave trade. So that was David Livingston, amazing man. And he got lost. Nobody heard from him. At least everybody thought he was lost. And uh, there was a, a newspaper in New York, the New York Herald. And they decided, the owner of the paper, decided that they would send one of their journalists to Africa on a quest to find David Livingston. And that man's name was Henry Stanley. And there he is actual picture of Henry Stanley. And some of you might remember the famous words, Dr. Livingston, I presume, when he finally did find David Stanley, or David Livingston. But Stanley had a problem. As soon as he got to Africa, he met um, native tribes who were very hostile toward him. They didn't want him there. And they threatened him. And it didn't matter how far he would penetrate into the, into the, the jungles of Africa in his quest to find Dr. Livingston. He, would be, he faced resistance all the way. Now, he had a, a guide that he had hired. And this guide said to Dr. Uh, Stanley, uh, Henry Stanley, uh, why don't you ask for a blood covenant with the leader of the tribe? And Stanley said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, well, here in Africa, the practice of blood covenant is something that takes place all the time. So he explained how it would work. And Stanley thought, okay, I'll try it. So this tribal leader who really didn't like Stanley uh, was approached by Stanley, and Stanley said, would you be my blood brother? Can we form a blood covenant? Now, whenever a covenant was formed, there had to be an exchange, something that was given and something that was received. 
And there was a number of things about the covenant that we really don't have time to get into tonight, except to say that it was considered something sacred. If you made a blood covenant with someone, you could not break it. And if you broke it, your own family was charged with the responsibility of killing you. And even if it was the man's wife. So Stanley and Livingston both testified that um, in Africa they had never seen a blood covenant broken. Well, um, the chief wanted Stanley's goat. Stanley had a white goat. And it was a very prized goat because goats were considered something very valuable because their milk would be something that had medicinal value. And Stanley depended on it. He didn't want to give up his goat. But the chief wanted his goat because the tribal leader didn't have, um, he didn't have uh, good health himself. And he could see that the goat would be very valuable to him. So he asked for the goat. And Stanley didn't want to give up, and the guide said, give him the goat. So um, that's the origin of the phrase, he gets my goat. Anyway, the tribal leader took the goat, and uh, there were certain things that would happen. There would be an exchange of gifts. This was the exchange of gifts. There would be decrees that were made. And then what would happen is that the one who received the goat would then offer a gift to Stanley. And the tribal leader offered him his copper spear. And Stanley said, I have no use for a copper steer, uh, steel, um, spear, rather. And the, the guy that was the guide said, take a spear. So Stanley didn't understand what was happening. But some things would take place then. And the first thing that would happen is that they would cut an incision on each wrist. Somebody would do that. Then the wrists were put together as blood brothers. And then there would be uh, gunpowder, in the case of, uh, of Stanley, uh, put on the on the incision that would cause a scar that would be readily identifiable in the days to come. And then they would take drops of blood from each incision and drop a couple of drops into a cup that had either wine or goat's milk. And so the couple of drops of blood from one party, a couple of blood, drops of blood from another party mixed together and they would share drinking it. So they actually drank each other's blood. Now, um, this was a very weird thing. Stanley had no idea what was going on. But then he discovered something. As he's walking through the jungle with this copper spear, as he would come into a village, people would bow their knees in front of him. And instead of resistance, they actually would give him whatever he wanted. And it, it, it amazed him. But what he discovered was that the life of the chief that, with whom he had entered a blood covenant was now his life, 
what the chief owned, he owned. The power of the chief or the tribal leader was now his power. If you touch Stanley, you reckoned with the tribal leader. That tribal leader would die for Stanley, and Stanley didn't understand it, but Stanley was expected to die for him if necessary because they were blood brothers. They were in covenant. They were in blood covenant. In the course of time, Stanley entered into 50 blood covenants with um, tribes in Africa. And this is in the 1800s. As they're going up through his trek to try to find Dr. Livingston. Well, um, there's so much more about that, and I won't get into it except to say that blood covenants between men is a common practice throughout history. It was a very common practice in the time of the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testament. It was something that people entered into, and it was sacred. You did not break a blood covenant. And you did so at your own peril. I don't know if any of you guys ever did this or not, but I remember when I was a kid, about 11 years old, a guy down the street, one of my best friends, his name was Howie Kaler. And I don't know if he suggested it or if I suggested it, but he said, one of us said, do you want to be blood brothers? And yeah, okay. So we each cut ourselves a little bit and we put our fingers together. And I don't know. We figured then we were blood brothers. We didn't know what it meant. I have no idea where he is now, and I'm sure he has no idea where I am. But I don't know, maybe somebody else here, you've done that and you've heard, or at least you've heard of it, being a blood brother, having a covenant like that. Well, come into the Bible now with me. And into the story of Abraham. And I'm going to read some verses. Listen carefully. After this, this is um, in the book of Genesis. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. This is chapter 15. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now what Abraham didn't understand, his name was Abram at this time, not Abraham, is that God was introducing a covenant with Abraham, with Abram. And, and Abram said, but uh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So this was a great problem for him. Him and his wife, Sarah, did not have any children, so they couldn't pass on the family heritage. And it says, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him for righteousness. Now, this is really a stretch. God takes you outside and looks up. He says, look up in the sky, 
And count the, skirt, the, the stars. That's how many, how many children and offspring you're going to have through your children, your children's children, down through the generations. That's a lot of kids. And Abraham, it says he believed him. It's important to understand the, what the word believe means in this instance. It means that Abraham was willing to give himself completely to what God had offered him. What God had said to him. It wasn't just a statement of faith. Okay, yeah, I believe in the Father. I believe in God. Uh, he did talk to me, and I believe him. Yes, I'm, I believe, I believe. It was more than that. It was offering his whole heart, his whole life, to what God had said, and God responded to that. Now, he also said, the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession to possess it. So it was a people and it was a land. Now, I'm going to put the next verses up on the screen. Verse 8. And Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? How do I know this is going to happen? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon, and Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two. Now, a covenant, the word, the idea of cutting a covenant became very, very common in the time of ancient Israel. So what you would do is you would take an animal, you would cut the animal in two, and each party would pass through the split animal. And it represent, the blood of the animal represented a blood covenant between the two parties. It was a very strong thing and it was based upon this. Bring me an ephir, a goat and a ram, each three years old, and a dove uh, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all three to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came along on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. I won't get into explaining that. It's very interesting. But here is our introduction in the Old Testament to what Stanley and Livingston came to practice in Africa and what native cultures here in North America practiced when the Europeans first came here. And so natives... North American Indians would enter into treaties, which is another name for a covenant. And they had the expectation that once they entered into a treaty with the Europeans, that the Europeans would honor that treaty. And so they would come and they would offer guns and they would offer things that the Indians wanted. And in exchange, the Indians would give them hides and other things, but mostly the Europeans wanted their land. And in fact, that was the only thing they really wanted. And North America is a history of broken treaties, not broken by the North American Indians, but broken by European settlers. And you may have heard our prime minister this week stand up in the House of Commons and apologize for a broken treaty that took place about 120 years ago in British Columbia, where the native parties 
entered into an agreement with the government expecting that when they came together, it would be the honoring of a treaty, and instead all five of them were executed by the Canadians. So we have a, a history behind us in Canada and the United States of broken covenants. Now, um, I'm just going to move on quickly. In Genesis 17, verses, well, let me go to slide five. I better not move too fast here um, before I go into the next scripture. In the days of Abram, in the Bible, Old Testament days and in the New Testament days, a, a blood covenant had these elements. And this is in Bible times. You would exchange a robe or a coat. And that meant you were giving yourself to the other person. It was your identity. You exchanged belts. Now, a belt was a place where you kept your sword. So by exchanging belts, you said, I will protect you. So you became the protector of the person with whom you entered into a, a covenant. And then there would be an, a, a, an animal sacrifice, a, the cutting of an animal, like we just described, which meant the blood was in the, that meant the shedding of blood, life is in the blood. It represented giving one's life to another. Uh, then there was the inter, intermingling of the blood and maybe a drop in a glass of wine of each person and then drinking it. It meant joining their lives together because life is in the blood. And then there was a visible, a visible scar that was kept upon both parties as a witness, as a testimony that they had entered into this union, into this relationship. And then they would exchange names. They would give the person either one of their names to attach to their name, or they might actually create a whole new identity, a whole new name, and that both of them were known by that name. And then there was the pronunciation of blessings and curses, if you will keep this covenant, I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this. I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. If you don't do this, then this curse will come upon you, and that curse will come upon you. And all you got to do is read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and understand the blessings of keeping covenant as God decrees them and the curses. So there's two mountains, the mountain of blessing, the mountain of curses. And God says, if you keep the covenant... I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do that. If you don't, then this will come upon you, and that will come upon you. So it's very much something that God did as well. And then there, used to, there would be a memorial meal. And the memorial meal would be made up of primarily bread and wine. And in eating uh, the same bread and the same wine, it was a seal of the covenant in fellowship. And then finally, there would be a memorial. The memorial would be a tree. Or if there was no tree, if it was not possible to plant a tree, there would be a pillar. And so you know all through the Old Testament, there's these stories of pillars, of, of these signs of covenant that were made. I would need to move along pretty quickly. In Genesis 7, 17, verse 1 to 8, 
When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. This is the covenant that he, we referred to back in Genesis 15. And Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be called Abraham, which means a prince with God. So his identity changed, his name changed, and he became a part of royalty, part of the family of God. And so you see how, how these things were so a part of the, the cultural understanding of the Jewish people. And he said... Um, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come to you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Wow, this is the covenant. And then you move on to uh, a few verses down, down to verse 19. There is a sign of the covenant. God said yes, and this was the, the, in the intervening verses, he's talking about Isaac who would yet to be born. But he said, in the meantime... Uh, God said, you and your wife will bear a son. You will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, and this was a son that had been born uh, from Hagar, who was not really his wife. Uh, she was a concubine, and she wasn't the promised son. But he's there. He's, he's there. He said, I, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his number. And he will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will, will bear to you by this time next year. And when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So this was a powerful encounter where the very real presence of God, even to the point of an audible voice, Abraham was able to receive an experience, and then it lifted. And on that very day, it says, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, or bought with money every male in his household, and circumcised them. And his son Ishmael was 13. And Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abram's house, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. What is circumcision? It's the cutting of the part of the male body that will bleed the most when it's cut. And, of course, that's the male penis. And why, why that part of the body? Well, because from that part of the body is the seed that would be planted into the mothers of Israel. And so there's so much significance to it. But what was Abraham's response to the covenant that God had made through blood, through the cutting of 
of animals, it, the seal or the sign of the covenant, just like the scars that would be on the hands of the people that shared their blood with each other, the sign was circumcision, which meant blood. Well, there's so much to say about this. So do we do that today? Well, in the New Testament, the Bible says, yes, we still practice circumcision. And if you're scared right now, let me assure you that in the New Testament, circumcision is of the heart, not of the flesh. So you can relax. We don't have any facilities here for circumcision. Now, <laughs> let me move on. There's an Abraham, a test that God brings to Abraham. And when and this is in Genesis 22, verse 9 to 14. When they reached the place God had told him about, this is Abraham bringing Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah. For God had said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. The son that he loved, the son that was the son of promise, the son that was just everything his heart had longed for for so many years. And God said to him, I want you to sacrifice him. Now, why was Abraham willing to do this? It's because the Bible said when God brought covenant to him, when God blessed him with the covenant that would be established through blood, Abraham's response was to believe God, which was to wholly commit his heart and life to that covenant arrangement. So when God said to him, I want your son, it was like the African tribal leader saying, I want your goat. Stanley didn't want to give up the goat. Abraham did not want to give up Isaac. When they reached the place God had told him about, that's uh, Abraham had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. There's so much that is in this that I just can't really take the time to go off on, a, on a, just such, such beautiful truth here. But Abraham... Um, Looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram, an animal, caught by the horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is called on the mount of the Lord. It will be provided. Oh, just right away, you look into the future in Mount Calvary and the Lamb that took our place. So, uh, why did Abraham do it? 
because of the power of the covenant. He believed in the blood covenant. And he, he didn't know what God would do. If he had to offer his son, he would do it. God maybe would give him another son or maybe raise Isaac from the dead. He didn't know what would happen. All as he knew is that his heart and soul was into the covenant. And he would keep it. For the Lord had promised that he would keep his part. Hebrews chapter 8. Let's move into the New Testament for just a few minutes. For for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, that first covenant of bloods, of of goats and animals, and all the sacrifices that took place in the tabernacle and later on the temple, if there was nothing wrong with that, uh, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, okay, so there was a problem with that covenant. And the covenant was the problem, or the fault, if you will, was with the people. And so the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Judah. Now remember, the disciples knew these verses. It will be... It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, turned away from them declares the Lord. Uh, there's a little book. And uh, could someone pass me a tissue? I meant to bring one. Thank you, Joanna. Uh, thanks. Uh, I meant to uh, bring a tissue with me. I apologize. There's a book uh, I was found, I don't know, back in the 80s sometime. It was written by a man by the name of E.W. Kenyon. And it's called The Blood Covenant. And it's a very wonderful book. And you can still, you can buy it on Kindle today or you can buy it on, um, through bookstores. It's still a very, very valid book. And here's what he said in a couple of pages. God was under obligation to shield them from the armies of the nations that surrounded them, referring to Israel. God was under obligation to see that their land brought forth large crops. You see, God had created a covenant. God was under obligation by the covenant to see that the herds and the flocks multiplied. The hand of God was upon them in blessing. They became the head of the nations and of wealth. Jerusalem became the richest city in the world that the world had ever known. Their hillsides were irrigated. Their valleys teemed with wealth. There was no city like it, no nation like it. God was their God, and they were God's covenant people. Under the covenant, one man could Chase a thousand in war. And two could put ten thousand to flight. In David's day, when covenant truth became a living force in the nation, David had blood covenant warriors that could individually slay 800 men in a single combat. They could, without weapons, rend a lion as though it had been a kid. They had physical strength and prowess. They had divine protection that made them the greatest warriors the world had ever known. 
They were God's peculiar people. They were the treasure of the heart of God. But then, he says, there isn't a more tragic event in human history than the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the carrying away of the people into Babylon because they had sinned against the covenant. The heavens became brass, the earth as iron. Their rain was turned to dust. Diseases afflicted them. Enemies overran them until their great city, the richest city the world had ever known, was a heap of ruins. The temple, which cost more money than any other ever reared, was completely destroyed and lay in dust and ashes. They had broken the covenant. Wow, it's amazing. When you understand the blessing of the covenant, what that meant for Israel, the prosperity, the blessings of of God in every way, (laughs) even... They were never sick. The diseases of the Egyptians would never come upon them. No mother would ever lose a baby in birth. No one would die prematurely. Those were the things that were inherent in that Old Testament covenant that God made with Israel. It's really quite incredible. And then one day, um, the day we celebrate is Monday, Thursday. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, it says, Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as you know, he broke bread with them as well. The two elements that were common to a covenant. Now, the disciples, they were steeped in Jewish history. They knew what blood covenants meant. They knew the prophecy that one day God would establish a new covenant because of the failure, not of the old covenant intrinsically, but because of the people who failed to keep it. And not one disciple gives them any pushback. Not one person says, what are you talking about? If we'd have been there, we wouldn't have known what he meant. This cup is the, is the blood of a new covenant. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And, and the awesome reality of what Jesus was saying would, settle, would have settled upon them. But then, as you know, lo and behold, every one of them forsook him. They fled. Judas even betrayed him. They they understood the words that he spoke. But they hadn't embraced those words as Abraham did when he said, Abraham believed God and so totally and completely committed himself to the covenant that God was cutting with him. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10, 12, and 13. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. For I 
will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete is outdated and will soon disappear. See, here's the question you have to ask yourself. What covenant are you living under? The covenant of trying is that drama so, so wonderfully portrayed of, of, the, of the little girl who is saying, I, I'm a failure, I'm full of shame, I've, I've, I've tried, I've given my heart to Jesus, but look at the mess I've made of it. That's the covenant of trying to do it on your own. That's the covenant of depending upon your own power, your own ingenuity, your own devices, your own striving, your own trying. And try as you will, you'll never keep it. Why? Because the condition of the human heart in the New Testament is just as fraught with sin as it was in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is a wonderful book on the covenant. For why one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What? What did you say? By one sacrifice he has made perfect. Perfect means complete. It doesn't mean you don't have any mistakes or you've never committed a sin. It doesn't mean that. But he has given you all you need for life and godliness in Jesus is the power to overcome. And just think of it. If the blessings of the old covenant were all that we read about, how much more are the blessings of the new covenant in Christ? That is based not on the blood of bulls and goats and animals, but on the blood of the precious Son of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus. By one sacrifice He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of the covenant. What does that mean? He is our guarantor. He is the one that, that guarantees that the covenant will remain in force. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, not on tables of stone. And I will write them on their minds, heart and mind. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Huh. Once and for all, the Bible says, 
In the Old Testament, sacrifices were offered daily, the blood of animals and goats constantly on the Day of Atonement once a year. The blood of the atonement had to go to the Holy of Holies where there was a big, it was a place where only the high priest could go and then only once a year. And, and it, was, it was a desperate time hoping that God would forgive the people of their sins that had been committed in the previous year. All these religious rites, all this shedding of blood, all of these sacrifices repeated day after day, year after year, none of them being able to save the worshiper because it wasn't established on an everlasting covenant, on the basis of blood that was everlasting. It was just established on the basis of the blood of animals. But when Jesus died, he put away the need for sacrifice. When we come for communion, we're not changing the bread and the wine into the body and the blood of Jesus. His body was nailed to a tree once. His blood was shed once, and it was once and for all, never to be repeated. What are we doing when we're coming to the table of communion? What we're doing is we're saying, I agree, Lord. I believe with my whole heart. I commit myself to what you've committed to me. Your love, the sacrifice of your life for my sins. And I believe. Uh, watch this video.